This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. I owned a gold store. I sold jewelry, precious metals, and stuff like that. This is Bobby Wallison. You'll remember him from episode two, the guy with the tough childhood who went to prison at 16 and wound up an enforcer in the patriarchal crime family. By the 1980s, Bobby had opened a side business, a jewelry store. One day, a mob associate of his, a guy named Billy Furley, came through the door. Billy came walking in, says, hey, Bobby, how you doing? Listen, don't worry about nothing. Everything's cool. Nothing's going to happen to you. I said, what? He said, yeah, yeah, everything's cool. I'm just trying to let you know everything's all right. And he was wearing a big down jacket in October. Very, very suspicious. So I said, come in here, Billy. I got to finish this piece of jewelry. So I turned my blower system on and my buffer. Now you can barely hear each other. You know what I mean? I knew he was bugged. I knew he was wired for sound. I said, what are you talking about? As I polished the ring. He said, I'm just telling you, don't worry about nothing. Don't worry. In the mob, when someone tells you not to worry, it's time to worry. Especially if that someone is Billy. I hated him. Piece of shit. Nobody liked Billy Fairley, except Bobo. He was Bobo's guy. Bobo is Frank Marapizzi, a powerful mob captain just two spots below Raymond Patriarca on the mob chart. And he was Bobby's boss. Bobo looked like Pavarazzi. Same height, same built, uh, mildly spoken man. You know, he just, like some of these guys, they, they get raspy voices. Hey, how you doing? He wasn't like that. You know, he, he had a nice personality. He really did. After that visit at the jewelry store, Bobby suspected Billy Furley had flipped. So Bobby went to warn Bobo. I told him, I said, listen, this guy, he's going to turn. I mean, I think he's already turned. And I'll tell you the truth. I, I wanted to take him out. Bobo got really upset with me. He says, are you fucking kidding me? He grabs me by the shirt. He pulls me over the table. He says, don't you ever fucking say you're going to take that kid out. You got it? Don't ever say it. Ever again. And I was like, yeah, okay. But mark my words, you're going to see. You're going to see what's going on. It was like I knew it was coming. What was coming? Betrayal. Back in the 70s, Bobby thought being in the mob was glamorous. But now, it's the 80s, and things have changed. Today's episode, a chance encounter leads to a senseless murder and puts Bobby Wallison on a path out of the mob. But getting out is a lot harder than getting in. 
I'm Zach Stewart-Pontier. I'm Mark Smerling. Welcome to Crime Town. In that day, being a wise guy was the coolest fucking thing on the planet. I'm not only a little wild, crazy hoodlum, but now I'm one with power. I think I got Raymond Petriaca behind me. Because it was a crusade, we did some things that probably would be frowned upon. But why do we do it? Because it was the way to win the battle. I was an enemy of the law for 25 years. So I never ratted, I never told. I'm talking now. I remember when I first started investigating organized crime, you picked up a mobster. They wouldn't say a word to you. Anthony Pizzari is a former state police investigator, and he says by the 1980s, law enforcement had become more aggressive in protecting mobsters who flipped, offering to change their identities and relocate them. We learned how to infiltrate them. We learned how to use witness protection. Mobsters had more incentive to speak against other mobsters. And Pizzari thought that Billy Furley was a perfect candidate for the program. Furley was trying to live two lives, so he had this, you know, legitimate life, so to speak. He had a young daughter, his wife worked for the city, I think, and then he wanted to be a mobster. And I think he looked up to Bobo as a father figure. And I think Bobo was kind of adopting him as his son. And so he tried to be the tough guy and that sort of thing, tried to be a wise guy, but really wasn't a wise guy. In Billy Furley, the state police had found a weak link in Bobo Marapizzi's crew, someone who might testify against Bobo in exchange for a new life. And bringing down a high-ranking mobster like Bobo Marapizzi, a suspect in more than one murder, would be a major win for the police in their battle against the patriarchal crime family. Frank Bobo Marapisi was a made member of organized crime in the patriarchal crime family, and probably one of the most genuine gangsters, I would say, a real gangster, someone to be feared, uh, someone that helped people, but on the other hand had the ability to, at a moment's notice, snap and become extremely violent. So the state police offered Furley a deal, and he took it. While we had Billy Furley in protective custody, just like any other witness who's in protective custody, you're going to try to make as many cases as possible and find out as much about that person as possible. And in the course of these debriefings, um, he talked about the McElroy homicide. That's his high school yearbook picture, yep. It's hard to believe this was 36 years ago. Ronald McElroy. That's how I remember him the last time I saw him. Yeah. On August 23rd of 1982, 20-year-old Ronald McElroy was killed at an abandoned gas station. This is Ken Carlson, McElroy's best friend. Where I grew up and when, when I grew up, you know, your friends didn't get murdered. You know, that was something on TV or someplace else. And when it happened to Ronnie, you know, a friend of mine called me and said that Ronnie had died and... Um, it wasn't until a few days that went by that we realized what the circumstances were. 
I heard they were, you know, Saturday night, they were driving around, going to clubs, just, you know, kid, kids do. They weren't, they weren't bad kids, and they ended up, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time and cutting off, I guess, the wrong person. Just that random. And the wrong person Ronald McElroy cut off. It was Bobo Marapizzi. At least, that's what Billy Furley was telling the cops. Do you remember what he said? It was my understanding that he was out with Bobo. This car came up behind him, started cutting them off. McElroy, his brother, and another individual. Again, state police investigator Anthony Pizzari. And they exchanged words. It's nothing serious. Eventually, the, the car stopped, and Bobo was going to drive on with his crew. But unfortunately, McElroy got out of the car with a baseball bat and tried to call them on to, to fight. Um, and according to Furley, uh, Bobo snapped, went up to um, McElroy, took the baseball bat away from him, and uh, beat him to death. That was the story from Billy Furley. That was the story from Billy Furley. That was the case we developed. The state police finally had a case against Bobo Marapizzi. And Furley also told them there was someone else there that night, Bobby Wallison. And come the state police, tell me to roll up the carpets, let's go, you're coming with us. And they tell me, we got a lot to offer you. Just listen to what we got to say. Billy's already with us. Billy's in, in the Winter's Protection Program. They tried to get me to join Billy in ratting on Bobo, and then they would have had him. Because when you get two rats, it's very convincing. Bobby didn't deny being there the night Ronald McElroy was killed, but he wouldn't cooperate with the police. You know, I was taught never to rat, always be honorable, be loyal, always be stand up. In Rhode Island, to be a stool pigeon, that was the worst. On November 14, 1988, Billy Furley took the stand in the state of Rhode Island versus Frank Bobo Marapizzi. He told the jury what he had told the cops, that McElroy came at Bobo with a bat. Bobo grabbed the bat away and killed McElroy with it. Then it was the defense's turn. Their star witness, Bobby Wallison. When it was time for me to talk, I was ready. I'm like, you motherfuckers are going to hear the truth. So I can understand. Of course they did. Were you the same Bobby Wallace charged with this, charged with that, back in this year? You know, you're making me look bad. I said, yep, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Oh, baby, that's me, yeah. Okay, ask me about this fucking murder. And they did ask. Bobby told the courtroom his version of what happened that night. Me and Bobo were in the car. This Volkswagen came by and cut us off. I said, what the fuck are you kids doing? We went down Night Street chasing them because they, they sped away. Get to the end of Night Street. Me and Bobo pull in. They had pulled in. Their car had stalled. We get out of the car. They attacked me and Bobo. We weren't out to kill anybody. The two kids come at me and Bobo. One of them hits Bobo on the side of the head. 
The other one comes at me, misses me, I back up. And all of a sudden, you know, I heard the, the, the beating going on. Bang, 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 bang. And it didn't sound right. You know, it was that metal bat on skull. At night, no cars around, you can hear an echo. I'm about, I don't know, I'd say 500 feet away, but I can't really see. The kids run that were, that were trying to um, get me. Bobo pulls up, I get in the car, and he goes, fucking Billy, beat that kid to death. He goes, Bobby, I've never seen anything fucking like it. And this is the one crucial difference between Billy Furley's story and Bobby's. Who was holding the bat that killed Ronald McElroy? Billy comes pulling over in his truck. He comes right next to us, slams the brake on, stops and goes, I squashed his head like a fucking tomato and he lifts up the bat. There was blood and guts all over the aluminum bat. I'm like, oh my God. Bobo said, go home, I'll talk to you tomorrow, just go home. The courtroom went silent. And Bobo's lawyer, Richard Egbert, let the silence linger. He put his back to me, Richard Egbert. He says, are you, are you getting anything for this testimony? Do you benefit at all in any way from this testimony? I said, no, nothing at all, not at all. So tell the court then, why are you, why are you, why are you giving this testimony about this? He looked out towards the mother, and I pointed right at her. And I said, because I want that woman to know who really killed her son. Richard Egbert didn't even turn around. He waited a few seconds. I don't know what he was going to say, and he went, Your Honor, I rest my case. The jury retired to weigh the testimony of defense witness Bobby Wallison against the testimony of protected witness Billy Furley. Their verdict after the break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Before the break, protected witness Billy Furley testified that mob captain Bobo Marapizzi beat a young man to death with a baseball bat. But Bobby Walson told a different story. He testified that Billy Furley was the killer. After just three hours, the verdict was in. Bobby Wallison heard the news from Bobo's lawyers. I went to pick up my Jaguar on Elmwood Avenue at Jake's. I see Jackson Cellini and Richard Egbert walking into Jaguar. They looked at me. I looked at them, they went, they put their arms out like, I'm like, what, what, what? They said, you didn't hear? I said, no. Egbert goes, not guilty. And it was like a big, big joyous hug from him and Jack. Bobo was acquitted and not everyone felt joyous. 
And I remember going to the funeral, somebody told me that the undertaker had a pretty tough time making them presentable because they had beat him so badly. You know, it's tough. Ronald McElroy's best friend, Ken Carlson again. I felt bad for his mother after, you know. She lived with Ronnie until he died, and um, she, she remained there in that house for, I think, till she, till she died, a good 30 years. He, she never really got justice for her kid. The case remains officially unsolved. We may never know whether it was Bobo Marapizi or Billy Furley who dealt the blow that killed Ronald McElroy. From the start, even McElroy's mother had doubts about Billy Furley's story. At one point, she organized a press conference. She said, I believe the Attorney General's Department deliberately concealed information about the involvement of William Furley in the brutal killing of my son, and I demand that Furley now be indicted and brought to justice. I mean, you always, as an investigator, believe you're putting the best case forward and that you... you believe your witnesses. State police investigator Anthony Pizzari again. But it became so murky and it wasn't cut and dry. Do you think he was, uh, that Bubba was the guy who killed McElroy in the end of the day going through that trial? I'll let the jury verdict answer that question. Obviously the jury wasn't convinced that Bobo did it. And I don't think that anyone could have been convicted in, with that fact pattern yeah. and with the testimony that was so contradictory. If you could live in a perfect world where, you know, where you, you could make up the rules, would you continue the witness protection program? Absolutely. Do you think it was worth it? I mean, did Billy Furley get a deal of all deals? Absolutely. You know, these are the worst of the worst. And so how do you get those people? I mean, who's going to testify against them? Who's going to, who knows? But so you have to do make a deal with the devil. Definitely deal with the devil there. It's a deal with the devil, there's no doubt about it. But the only way to get a devil is with another devil, I guess. 203244, 25 front entrance. Would you guys have an audio recorder? That's it? That's it. No cameras. No cell phones. Frank Marapisi. Okay. All right. And eventually, Furley helped the state police get their devil. We're in maximum security at the adult correctional institutions. A guard leads Frank Bobo Marapizi into the visiting room. He's shackled and in a tan jumpsuit. Even at 74, he's still a bit scary. Who would you speak to about me? Everybody talks about you, Bobo. <laughs> I mean, in some ways. It's that damn nickname, that's why. And the, and the ironic thing about the nickname is on one block of Federal Hills, there was four of us, four of us named Bobo. <laughs> But I was called Little Bobo because I was this big, you know, a skinny little runt. And that, that's it. Bobo may have been acquitted in the McElroy murder, but Furley told the cops about another murder, a mob captain who was shot to death in Bobo's bar one night. Bobo was convicted on that charge and sent here for life. He's had a lot of time to think about Billy Furley. It's like the brother I never had. I mean, we really got along really good. It broke my heart when he, when he uh, became an informant and a liar. That's the worst part. What he did to that kid, it was a shame. It was a shame. Fairly killed a kid. I mean, he killed him. It, it was a slaughter. But whenever I got into trouble, I'm the only one that went to jail. I didn't take nobody with me. You know, I mean, I, I had people inform on me that murdered people. 
And the state police know they did it, and the FBI know they did it. What they thought was that if they put enough charges on me, I'd, I'd roll over too. But the buck stops here, like Harry Truman said. The buck stops here. And they got away with murder. Billy Furley is still alive, in an undisclosed location. We tried to contact him, but our requests were denied. With Furley in the Witness Protection Program and Bobo in jail, Bobby Wallison had a lot to think about after the McElroy trial. I saw myself ending up as a zero. I really did. I had to change everything. I couldn't do I couldn't keep it up. I couldn't do that. But it's not easy to just walk away from it, right? Well, if you got any ties, you have to cut your ties. Cutting ties to the mob takes time. And for years Bobby was half in and half out trying to start legitimate businesses while still loan sharking, hustling people for money, and making enemies. One day, Bobby was unloading a truck when something happened that got him out for good. I think it was a Monday, and it was just starting to get dark. And uh, the station wagon pulls in. I mean, old, when do you see old station wagons? You don't see them. So it stood, stood right out and they turned around and left. I said, what the hell was that? I say 45 minutes later, the car pulls back in and this young Spanish kid gets out, could have been 22 years old. I mean, he was young, you know, and this other black kid they got shorts on and both have tank tops. And I'm saying, I said, what the fuck? I take a sip of the water and all of a sudden, <laughs> I hear a gun go off and hit the fucking jug. Jug falls out of my hand and I think quick and started running towards the corner of Atlantic Mills and Aleppo Street. As I'm running down that way, he started popping. I remember him getting a number six, hoping that it was all over, because he hadn't hit me. Then seven came, eight, nine, ten. He got all the way to where I lost count. I got up and started booking it towards the top of the hill. As soon as I get up to the top, right at the street, he got me right in the kidney. When you get shot, it takes every ounce of breath. You have none. There's none to reach for. You don't have any. It's gone. I stumble into the street. There's a few girls in the car, and they stop, and, and, I, and I'm starting to gurgle blood onto their car, and they're screaming. All of a sudden, there's a kid behind me. I turn around, he puts the gun on my forehead. I don't have any strength, I, f I have no ear. I don't have any, as soon as he puts the gun on my forehead and pulls the trigger, it clicked, he, he didn't have any more bullets. He wasted them all on me, <laughs> the whole fucking clip, man. Every one was spent. The shooter ran off and Bobby was rushed to the hospital. Doctor said that when he opened me up, 
He goes, usually they have to deal with one organ, sometimes two. He goes, all of yours was shot. You, you were shot through every organ. In my kidney, up through my colon, into my liver, through my intestines, out my stomach wall, and came out like a half inch below my heart. And uh, it took about nine and a half, ten hours, they said. He goes, but we kept going and kept going. Our job is to go until your heart stops. He goes, your heart never skipped a beat. He goes, and uh, here you are. Bobby had no idea who was trying to kill him or who'd sent them. But the way he was living, it didn't really matter. I was my worst enemy sometimes, you know. Come on, Bobby, come on. You did this. This was, you can't even blame anybody for this. This was your fault. So really, that was the turning point. You caused this. It takes a lot for a guy to say you caused something like that, but I caused it. So I was, I was the blame, you know. And with this realization, Bobby was finally free. You control the pace, and it works every different muscle group you can imagine. Hey, let me introduce the man who brings it to us, Robert Wallace. Robert! How are you? How are you, my friend? Good to see you, Welcome guys. to the Home Shopping Network. Thank you. This is Bobby Wallison on the Home Shopping Network, selling a product that he invented. I've never done anything that can compare to the easy job. You know what I love about it is... In the video, Bobby is wearing a tank top and gym shorts, demonstrating the easy jump. It's best described as a jump rope that's been cut in half. Two handles attached to weighted cords, which you spin. The motion is the workout. You know what I love about it, Robert, is it's fun. I mean, it's a fun workout. You know, all the workouts that you do, whether it's cardio, lifting weights, whatever it is, they're not really that much fun. After a while, they get very boring and they're very stressful. Yeah, but with easy jump, Everyone can do it and have a great time doing it. And that's the key to consistent fitness. I got known, rather than being a gangster, I got known as a good businessman. Bobby also started a successful moving and storage business that he runs to this day. There's more than one way to get out of the mob. You can go to prison for life, like Bobo. You can disappear into witness protection, like Billy Furley. Or you can end up dead, like so many others. Very few wise guys get out like Bobby Wallison by just choosing to walk away. Yeah, but you could have. Look at you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not so bad. No, no, life is good. Life is good. I come home at night, boom. I hit the pillow. I go right to sleep. I have no worries. Get up. Tomorrow's another day. It's beautiful. Did it ever come back into your life? Uh, watch if somebody fucks with me in your company. I'm a fucking vicious animal. It's in there. It's never going to go away. Where's it going? There's nowhere to go. You know? But I keep it at bay. Keep it at bay. I don't want to say I hope and pray because I'm not big into that, but I, I do 
hope I don't ever have to be that guy again, ever. Cause that sucks. Hey, Crontown listeners. We're taking two weeks to do some follow-up reporting. We'll be back on February 26th to continue our 20-episode season about Providence, Rhode Island. Wall-to-wall naked girls. Strippers. Beautiful girls. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I do fuck. (laughs) I do love my girls. I'm not wearing a robe, sir. I admit to being a criminal. Thank God for that. I am not wearing a robe. He is. So y'all wearing a mask? Yeah. Crime Town is me, Mark Smirling, and Zach Stewart-Pontier. We are produced by Drew Nellis, Austin Mitchell, Caitlin Roberts, and Mike Plunkett, with additional production by Laura Sim. We're edited by Alex Bloomberg and Caitlin Kenny. Fact-checking by Mick Rouse. This episode of Crime Town was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Matthew Bull. Additional sound design by Robin Shore at Silver Sound. Our title track is Run to Your Mama by Goat. Original music by John Cusiak, John Ivins, Edwin, and Beanart. Our ad music is by Matthew Boll. Additional mixing by Martin Peralta, Enoch Kim, and Kenny Cusiak. Our digital editor is Kate Parkinson Morgan. Our design director is Ale Lariu. Alex Bloomberg is the podfather. He's a vicious animal, but he keeps it at bay. Keeps it at bay. This season of Crime Town is dedicated to the memory of Zach Malinowski. We miss you, Bill. Check out Anthony Pizzari's book, They Always Win. It's a lightly fictionalized account of his experiences working on these cases. Thanks to the Providence Journal, Julia Haymans, Emily Wiedemann, Tim White, Lisa Newby, Mary Murphy, and everyone who shared their stories with us. For a full list of credits and for bonus content from this episode, visit our website at crimetownshow.com. You can find us on Twitter at Crimetown, and on Facebook and Instagram at Crimetown Show. And if you're enjoying Crimetown, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. Thanks. Providence is a special place, and we're honored to tell a part of its story. But what happens is, you know, a jump rope. Can you hear that? Yeah. That's tension. You don't get that from a jump rope. Now you can squat, you can lunge, you can do everything with this. You can actually jump if you want, but you don't have to. But it's better. And then you can do like your triceps. so good.